Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Shabbos Kodesh, he wanders on in, stands in the back as the Tfilos begin. The mystical words of Lecha Daidi, there's something about that sweet melody. Invited for dinner, Zemirais they sing, infusing his soul with the joy that they bring. Closing his eyes, his heart starts to soar. Perhaps we can sing that sweet song once more. was taught to hate Jews, to hurt and to maim, but I felt a connection I could not explain. With anger and fury thrown out of my home, confused and forsaken, I left there alone. But I feel something strange here, his voice fills the room, and over and over he's singing this tune. Say my goodbyes. She told me the truth with tears in her eyes. I was taken by force. We're Jewish now. Run. Here's a picture to treasure. It's where you come from. They gathered and stared at the photo he held. An image of his grandfather's grave it beheld. Rab Shlomo Al Kavitz his kaved in Svaf. Who wrote we sing Leil Shabbat Shabbat 
JM and the AM. It is in position number eight on the brand new Yaakov Shweki CD, and yet I believe it could become an, a massive hit. Uh, that is uh, that is a great song from Asha Schiel. It's Kamu Vaneha, done by uh, Yaakov Shweki on the CD entitled Kolot here at JM the AM. Baruch Levine with Lachad Odi. You heard the uh, Baruch Kel Elyon, Dov Levine and company from the Zemiros All-Stars. The great Ben Sion Schenker, and rumor has it that the great Ben Sion Schenker is coming out with a brand new Pesach CD. That's what I heard earlier this week from ZK. Uh, that was Dror Yikra. Dvekas with Shalom Aleichem. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up as we say good morning. It's Friday on this March 21, day 19 in the month of Adar 2, the year 5774. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Para with candle lighting time at 6.50 on this Erev Shabbos. Ten minutes before 7 p.m., your official candle lighting time. 38 degrees, 50% humidity, winds west at 7, mostly sunny with a high temperature of 52. That's good. Showers late tonight, low 40. Tomorrow morning showers and a high for Shabbos, 62 degrees. All right. We'll certainly take that, although the uh, high on Sunday is going to be about 15 degrees cooler. And then Monday, I think, is 10 degrees cooler than that. (laughs) Can't get out of this winter. 70 in Yerushalayim and Haifa, 68 in Tel Aviv, 77 in a lot. We're at 38 here in Jersey City on a Friday morning at JM and the AM. Amazing programming all day long. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two coming up at 9 a.m. Eastern time right after JM and the AM on our stream at jmtheam.org. And, of course, all day long, courtesy of our friends at Kedem, we have an amazing Erev Shabbos music mix uh, that'll go all the way, believe it or not, from 10 a.m. Eastern Time all the way until candle lighting. Just an incredible selection of music to uh, get into the Shabbos mood. I am highly recommending it as we do every single week. Uh, check it out. You'll enjoy. Uh, the Jerusalem Marathon is today. Remember last year we were there for the big Jerusalem Marathon? That was a great day. That was a great day. Uh, last year at the Jerusalem Marathon. And apparently it happened uh, early this morning. Let's see. It's 1235 right now in Israel. So I guess, uh, let's see if it's 12.35 in Israel. I think the race is basically over at this point, right? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, so a big gashakach. I know a lot of people not only fly from here and go to Israel, but a lot of people who are based now in Israel, whether it's their year in Israel or what the case may be, actually run in the Jerusalem Marathon. So we say kol uh, kavod, and I hope that uh, everybody had a fun time, a great time, and raised a lot of good money for a lot of good causes. Jerusalem Marathon is an incredible event. It's uh, really amazing. JM and the AM, uh, yesterday was the uh, the Leviah, the funeral of Mrs. Miriam Lubling, and we conjectured on air yesterday that she was 90 years old. According to published reports I saw this morning, she was 96 years old, came to the U.S. from Europe via Israel. And uh, because of a family situation, because of a personal situation, got involved in helping sick people at hospitals and then ended up being one of the founders of the Rifka Laufer Beaker Cholim. That's the very, very short story of an incredible and amazing life that Mrs. Miriam Lubling led and uh, led by example. So many people who have gone into chesed work over the last many decades, simply followed her example and uh, and went ahead and duplicated it. Just amazing. And uh, she will be missed, that's for sure. Uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 96. Funeral took place in the Borough Park, Brooklyn. 
JM in the AM at 23 minutes before 7 o'clock. Malcolm Honeline, an hour from now, will analyze the events of this week, and there are plenty to talk about. News from Israel at the top of the hour, and of course, our Bayudin coming up at 8.15 this morning with both uh, Parsha Shmini and Parsha's Paro. We'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Don't forget, all weekend long, you have great programming on our stream at jmtheam.org, including Saturday Night Seagull, tomorrow night at 10 p.m. with uh, Executive Assistant Avrami. And Sunday morning, Matis always puts together a great JM Sunday. It'll start at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. He had a great Purim edition last week. He'll have a great post-Parsha's Para edition this week. <laughs> it happens between 7 and 9 every Sunday morning. And I, I, I hear from more and more people about our weekend programming on the stream at jmnam.org, and that we continue to um, carry through with that commitment, uh, courtesy mostly of uh, of Rummy and Matis. The the situation. Speaking of weekend programming, the situation on Sunday with Court Report, our Yeshiva League Sports Comprehensive Show, is an interesting one. Uh, Elliot Weiselberg will be there for the two hockey championships on Sunday. And we wish good luck to all the teams who are participating in the uh, big championships, uh, varsity and junior varsity, this coming Sunday out on Long Island. Uh, it should be very interesting. should be some really good games. Uh, the question is, it, it will likely be impossible for Elliot Weiselberg to go live at 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, after the games. It'll probably have to be later than that. So I highly recommend, to those of you who want to hear the post-hockey analysis, uh, I highly recommend you follow us on social media, Jewish Radio World, with Nahum Siegel on Facebook. That's Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel on Facebook. On Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net. We are going to try very hard to get a court report on at night on Sunday. It might be at 8 o'clock. Uh, not sure exactly how it's going to work. We're trying to figure that out. But if you pay careful attention to social media, you will know about it. And uh, we will uh, inform you as soon as we know what the schedule is. But believe me, Elliot is uh, being very diligent in trying to make sure to get an up-to-the-minute report to everybody once the games come to an end. Friday morning broadcast, it's JM in the AM as we continue at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
Sorry about that, Jay. <laughs> Almost got into a Mazuman selection there for a second, which would have been great, but we've hit the top of the hour. The Willig family with Elu Finu off of Leiv Avos. You heard the music of the Copenhagen Synagogue before that with Enkel Okeinu and Adon Alam. Shamayim had Pitchuli, Esa Enai from Yisrael, Juskowitz, and Eitan Katz, of course, with Ms. Marla Dovid opening up that set. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Para, candlelighting at 6.50 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.50. News from Israel is coming up, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, JM and the AM 
Org, and it seems we are having trouble with our news from Israel. We'll give it one more shot here before we wrap up the hour and then see if we can uh, present it. If not, then uh, we'll move on. Today was the day of the Jerusalem Marathon. I want to uh, congratulate all those who uh, ran, raised money, did an amazing job for a great cause. Uh, and a lot of people not only flew from here, as we said earlier, but are based in Israel for the year and participated in the Jerusalem Marathon, which is an amazing and incredible event. We had the pleasure of being there one year ago. Very inspiring. All right, no news from Israel for us today. I apologize for that. We'll move on into our number two of this great radio broadcast at a minute after 7 o'clock with 38 degrees, 50% humidity, winds west at 7, mostly sunny today. With a high temperature of 52, showers late tonight. Then tomorrow, morning showers for Shabbos morning. Then a high temperature of 62 degrees. That is the way to do it. Baruch Hashem for that. Uh, right now we've got the 38 here at JMNAM with a reminder that uh, coming up at 9 o'clock right after JMNAM, Naomi Nachman with Table for Two. You can hear that on the stream at jmnam.org, so make sure to be tuned in for that. And all day long on our stream, from 10 a.m. all the way until candlelighting time, you can enjoy an amazing presentation that we call the Erev Shabbos Music Mix. I don't know of any better way to prepare for Shabbos on an Erev Shabbos than with our music mix. So make sure you are tuned in all day long on our stream through the app, the listen line, your laptop, your computer, wherever the case may be. You will definitely enjoy it. More coming up. Hour number two starts with Yaakov Chesed. This is JM in the AM.
Come on, that is amazing, isn't it? Lachado <laughs> D, of course, that's the uh, incredible, and I mean incredible, Lenny Solomon, uh, with that selection off of a Shabbat in Liverpool. Before that, Yosef Karduner, Kari Bone, off Yearning for Shabbat. The Rabbi's sons had Shabbos Kodesh, and you heard Yaakov Chesed opening up the hour with Tzama off the CD entitled The Passage here. At JM in the AM. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parsha Shmini, Jerusalem Marathon Day. And I hear the Jerusalem Marathon was as great as ever. What a day it is in the holy city of Yerushalayim. With people raising money with, uh, with their incredible energy and their wonderful spirit for great causes. Really is remarkable. Uh, JM in the AM with a, uh, Hatzlachara Ba going out to all the teams who are part of the Yeshiva League. Hockey Championship Sunday that's going on this coming Sunday out in Lawrence. Should be very interesting. couple of really uh, big games wrapping up the Varsity and JV Championships. We are not sure yet exactly how it's going to work regarding um, our court report on Sunday. Elliot Weiselberg wants to put together a comprehensive report but also wants it to be very timely. Uh, in terms of the games, I don't think it'll start at 7 p.m. If you pay careful attention to our social media, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel on Facebook and the Nachum Siegel Net on Twitter, we will try to alert everybody as to when he'll go live with his report. I'm assuming it'll be somewhere around 8 p.m. Sunday night uh, with a full report on the varsity and junior varsity championships in Yeshiva League hockey. All right, so pay careful attention to that, and we'll let you know exactly what is going on? Should be very interesting and a lot of fun. Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Para with candle lighting at 6.50 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.50 candle lighting time. This comes from Mizumin.
J.M. in the A.M. Well, a lot of people out there want to hear the brand new David Gabe single. It's called Bore Olam. And here it is for you at J.M. in the A.M.
It's a brand new single from David Gabe. It's called Bore Olam. Just released. Hot off the press, as the expression goes. Here at JM and the AM. Sherwood Goffin before that with Keladon. You heard Mizumin with Mimkomcha. Malcolm Holmline, minutes from now, we'll start our weekly update, uh, analyze some of the events of this uh, crazy week of ours, or I should say crazy world of ours, right? That's what I always say. That'll be coming up. Got an amazing call this morning from Dr. Rosenshine as we welcome a brand-new great-granddaughter for him and his family. Unbelievable. Mazel tov going out to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Yaakov Gifter and to grandparents, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kornbluth of Muncie and the Gifters, Rabbi Mrs. Gifter out in Cleveland, and Rebitson Gifter, um, as well, of course, uh, who shares now a great-granddaughter with Dr. and Mrs. Rosenshine. We say mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. As I told Dr. Rosenshine, keep the good news coming. We love sharing good news with everybody. Just keep it coming, as they say. Candle lighting at 6.50, Erev Shabbos Shmini, Erev Shabbos Parshas Para, mostly sunny with a high 52, even nicer weather tomorrow as we'll reach 62 degrees. Uh, JM in the AM, and as I said, the uh, weekly update is coming up if you keep it here at JM in the AM. And then Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 on the Torah portion. Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of Table for Two coming up right after JM in the AM. You can hear it on jmtheam.org. And Naomi today uh, is going to welcome Gil Marks into the studio. Uh, that'll happen again between 9 and 10 this morning right after JMTheam. They'll talk about the history of matzah and matzah balls. And from Columbus, Ohio, Allison Gutwax, who shares easy and very gourmet Pesach recipes, will also join Naomi. That's coming up on the uh, a stream right after JMTheam and right before our incredible Arab Shabbos music mix. That'll go from 10 a.m. until candlelighting time with a big thank you to our friends at Kedem. This is JM in the AM with Ohad.
Hey! 
the AM with Cole Zimra and Menucha Vesimcha. Don't have an answer yet on the um, much-anticipated court report show for this coming Sunday on our stream at jmtheam.org. Usually it's on at 7 p.m., but with the big hockey championships in the Yeshiva League this coming Sunday, it'll likely be on later. My suggestion is that uh, you pay careful attention to our social media, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel on Facebook, at Nachum Siegel Net on Twitter, and you'll know exactly when to tune in. Those will be two incredible games coming up Sunday for the Yeshiva League Championship, that's for sure. And speaking of sports, a big hello to those who ran the Jerusalem Marathon today. The Holy City of Jerusalem was the site of the Jerusalem Marathon, and uh, a lot of people raised a lot of great money for a lot of great causes. Big yeshikach for that. I want to remind everybody that there is a, a very tense situation, as you can imagine, up in Rockland County, as um, a parrot suntag uh, a week ago was reported missing, and Chaverim of Rockland Emergency Services and so many other organizations have been spending so much time and putting in such an incredible effort with family and friends and volunteers to search for him. Uh, he still remains missing. There is a $30,000 reward. We've been asked to remind everybody out there because there's so much social media and so many different uh, avenues of publicity that has gone through. Um, they just want to remind everybody that if you want to um, participate in the search, if you want to volunteer, there is a phone number for the Haverim of Rockland. They could forward you to the Ramapo Police Department if you have any information. Um, they're at 845-371-6333, 845-371-6333. Uh, there's a $30,000 reward. There is a, uh, his car is being uh, searched for as well. Obviously, it's part of the, uh, it's part of the uh, search that's going on. It's a 2012 black Kia Optima, a 2012 black Kia Optima. The uh, license plate begins with the letters FZD. And, uh, again, if you have any information or if you want to participate and help out, Haverim of Rockland have been on the front lines of this, as I said, with so many other volunteer organizations and with so many hundreds of people dedicating their time and efforts, and we pray for his safe return. It's 845-371-6333, 845-371-6333. For those of you listening from around the world, from outside New York and New Jersey, I can tell you that this situation has just dominated uh, to such a great extent, so much of what the Jewish community is uh, paying attention to and participating in over the last few days. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shemini and Erev Shabbos Parsha's Para. Candle lighting at 6.50, 12 minutes before 8 o'clock. Weekly update next. want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their readers our live stream at jmnam.org. If you want some amazing articles, news and commentary about what's going on in this world of ours. You can check out jewishworldview.com. You can do what so many other people do, print out hundreds of articles. Well, maybe not hundreds, but certainly tens of articles uh, before Shabbos that might pique your interest. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the show. Uh, good morning to you. Now that I've been criticized for almost a week about not asking you about this last week, uh, both for that reason and for the uh, reason that it seems Israel is a drop more involved, I'll ask you, where is the plane? And uh, this Malaysia Airlines uh, flight that has now, I guess, officially disappeared, 
and I know there are a couple of leads who could update us if there is any information out there. Uh, it, it, is the situation in Israel as serious as some have reported that Israel is now under a higher alert because there's a missing jetliner out there? Uh, yes, there is a, a higher alert, but that's really more for people who monitor Israel's skies and look for a plane. The concern was that, that somebody stole this plane to be used in a terrorist attack. And they obviously had some information about the background of the people involved um, to to raise this concern and coming from Malaysia. But uh, I, I don't think that it's been escalated since then. The concern was not just, by the way, in Israel. There are other places, too, where where this kind of this concern was uh, it resulted in heightened uh, uh, scrutiny of the uh, flight patterns. But as you know, even this report where from Australia now that the first planes came back and couldn't find what right. had been seen on the satellite. So the mystery continues. Malcolm, uh, doesn't the theory seem a little far-fetched that this might be linked to terrorism only because if someone did in fact want access to a plane or wanted to use a plane for some type of terror attack, there are probably easier ways to obtain one than to hijack one with hundreds of people aboard? Well, there are ways that they can get them and they can buy them, but then you have a record here. The feeling was that this was uh, going to be taken to some isolated place, perhaps. I mean, it's all speculative, and nobody has a real understanding or a theory about what happened, and nobody certainly knows. Uh, So everything is speculative, and and you have all sorts of um, uh, people and and websites and others who are speculating, and then it becomes a news headline that that, that people had associations. And as far as I know from the security people we spoke to right now, nobody has a clue. Right, and um, and knowing someone of your uh, of the way you pay attention to the news, you 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 probably know less than when you started reading about the story, right? Exactly. <laughs> Every day we know less than uh, we knew because at first there were some theories, and because the the disabling of the uh, of the guidance systems and navigational systems and the uh, system that the pilot had in his house, and then they said something's missing from it, right. and it's been reprogrammed. So all, every mystery has, has only grown over the days since the disappearance. Because of your travels and your connections, you're, you're well acquainted with the sophistication or lack thereof of, um, uh, of parallel departments, let's say, in other countries compared to the U.S. Is it fair to say what many are saying, that if this would have happened, you know, God forbid, to a, a U.S. plane or something closer to this area of the world, that our technology, you know, certainly would never have been uh, uh, fooled to the point that the Malaysian technology was? Look, if somebody wants to bypass the systems that have been set up, it's possible to do it. Uh, don't forget this is over a vast area of water, and it, it got caught between areas uh, of satellite coverage. So obviously over the United States there's far more coverage that uh, would have detected you know, an, uh, such an aberrant behavior or pattern. But when you sh- if a pilot wants to shut off all the systems and wants to evade the monitoring devices, 
it can be done. All right. No matter where around the world, no matter how sophisticated the technology. Flying it over the Atlantic Ocean, you also could lose it. All right, humor me for my weekend cocktail party. Which is the bigger mystery, Amelia Earhart or this one? What do you think? I don't know who they'll find first. <laughs> question. And I don't mean to joke around. We know there are a lot of people that uh, whose lives are at stake, and God knows what has happened to them at this point. But it just uh, the whole mystery and the way the uh, world is gripped by it is just unbelievable. So there was a vote in Crimea, correct? They did vote to become part of Russia. They did vote. They did become part of Russia. And the U.S. has a right to not recognize the results of that vote. Every country has uh, a right to uh, to declare that it was illegal, that it wasn't appropriate, that it was uh, staged. Um, but the fact is that the, the overwhelming results that the Russian or pro-Russian forces claim, and that they they made the declaration, it seems that it's moving ahead. The EU today moved uh, to sign an association accord with uh, the Ukraine. I don't think it's a full association accord. From, uh, my understanding would probably be the elements of it, but not the full thing. But it is a message, and it's a you know a further s- uh, escalation here of uh, you know the challenge between the two sides. It's you know the United States announced a second round of uh, sanctions against individuals. Most of them have laughed off the impact. Uh, one bank was named. The uh, Europeans are also working on their own set of uh, of sanctions. But by and large, the response has been so weak and minimal to uh, what appears to be the usurpation of land. With uh, Certainly, you can't claim that even with the referendum that there's been adequate due process. It sends a message, and that's, that is the big problem, that it's not just what happened in the Crimea. It's, this, this was related, obviously, to what happened years ago in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also related to what happened in Syria, that the message is out. So China will heat things up with the islands that it claims. North Korea is firing missiles into the sea. I met with Korean officials yesterday, and they're very concerned about the ramifications. And we don't necessarily think about, you know, so, what, what happens in, uh, in the furthest parts of Asia. Right, but the difference here than the, than the comparison with Syria is the reaction of the opposition or the reaction of those who are who are being taken over, so to speak. I mean, the, when, the government, when, when the army or those who are responsible for taking over government buildings and making this transition arrived from Russia, there was no opposition, correct? Yeah, well, Mike, the comparison to Syria was about the failure of the West right. to carry out the actions that it right. just sent a message weak. It's not what happened inside Syria, mm-hmm. which is totally different, and, and the uh, origin of it, is different to but the when South. there's a strong opposition, isn't there? Isn't it naturally a stronger West? You know what I mean by that? Like when there's a a strong voice within the country, so the the U.S. intervention or U.S. support at least looks like it has some potency to it. But the West, uh, I can I would say by the perception of the people in Syria, failed them. Did not give a strong response. Right. You can't find a case in in any of the upheaval states in uh, Egypt. We certainly. The voice that was heard was seen to be a contrary voice supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. It was interpreted as interpre- uh, interpreted as supporting the Muslim Brotherhood in uh, in each of the countries. The only place where we interceded was in Libya, obviously earlier in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now Afghanistan is headed for an election on, in the first week in April. I think April fifth. Uh, the United States is being told to, to get out. They they want to sign an agreement security arrangement, which would have given them an ongoing presence. 
and there's a lot of opposition to it. Um, so if you look at all these recent incidents, the United States and the West as a whole has their per- the perception of of the stance and of their willingness to stand up, even in terms of Iran. When Class C took place, the the, the ship, Iran had pay has paid with no consequence. There's been no price. They 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 ship missiles. They that that involve Iraq and everything else. There are are thousands of people going from Iraq into into Syria to fight Shiites that are organized by by Iran and its agents. There's never a price. So it's open season. So why shouldn't uh, Putin derive from this that, you know, he'll get slapped on the wrist, they may try to do some stuff that, that's peripheral. If we really want to do stuff, if we would inc- sharply increase oil production, lower the price, Russia's the biggest exporter, they would pay a heavy price when the price of, of gas is. We've done this before when the price of oil was uh, was dropped so low that the Russians were screaming and yelling. These steps, you know, slapping sanctions on individuals, some of whom have no assets in the United States or, you know, say that they don't care whether they can visit the United States or not. So even a greater case for energy independence. Uh, well, we are energy independent, uh, but now I'm talking about greater energy export because it's Europe that is really the problem here because they depend on Russia for their gas, especially, and oil, a large part of it comes from uh, Russia. And Russia is trying to control all the resources. They're making deals with Iran now. They're, they, they're going to sell another nuclear reactor, and they're going to be paid in oil. Um, the, the gold for oil deal that Turkey signed and others that, and that we know that Russia is involved in. So Russia's goal is to control the flow of all, all gas and oil into Europe, the energy that goes into Europe, so it has an iron hold, uh, hold on it. Uh, for them, shutting it off means that they lose money, too, so it's not right. a one-way street. It may not be in their best interest to go ahead and shut it off. Uh, so, And that's the only difference, really, between North America and Europe, the uh, the uh, energy tie to Russia at this point. Well, it's also the geography. Right. I mean, there are a lot of uh, considerate things that... that uh, um, make it uh, of greater concern. And the issue now is what happens in Moldova, what happens in other areas. The feeling is that Latvia and Lithuanian are not going to be, uh, while they're subject to pressure, are not going to be uh, taken over. They, they have NATO membership. There's common defense agreements. And Moldova doesn't. And Russia has always seen that as, as part. And traditionally, it's going back and forth between Russia and Romania, etc., uh, cities like Kishinev, Chernovitz. What do people? What know. do the people in Moldova want? I think the people in Moldova probably would want to sustain their independence, uh, but there are strong ties, and the economic conditions in Moldova are not good, as they were not in the Ukraine. Uh, the, I think the hope on the part of people in the Crimea, not only because you have the Russian forces there, and it is somewhat of a unique circumstance when you have the Russian bases and traditional interests, etc. But, you know, the whole Ukraine's economic conditions are, are horrific in the amount of debt, the, the uh, conditions. And the West, you know, could be saddled with an additional burden of trying to stabilize uh, the Ukraine by having to pour in billions of dollars. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. 
I saw a great quote in one of the headlines this week. It may not be a cold war, but it's a chilly rivalry. Uh, one of the reasons it's only a chilly rivalry, by the way, is because of the uh, uh, the weaker leadership uh, in the United States, I believe, than compared to when the Cold War was in full swing. With that in mind, with the with the joking approach or the humorous approach that the other side is taking towards sanctions, is it time for the U.S. to stop issuing sanctions and making public statements about sanctions? Well, we have to do something, and at least the sanctions uh, are are a step. You know, sanctions against Iran worked. The sanctions against Russia are nothing close to it. And we even see the diminution in the impact of the Iranian uh, sanctions now. And and it's not just uh, now. The United States, you know, the, the Georgia invasion took place under President Bush. And we did see, you know, obviously different stance when in Cuba or over with President Reagan. But uh, the... the um, the messages that we gave and the messages we continue to give, and it's it's the whole West. You know, Merkel seems to be closest to, to taking a strong stand, but even there you see the hesitancy, the concern about the ramifications, the, the unwillingness. There's nobody who's ever suggested sending in one soldier or, or doing anything along the border. France was ready to, and their planes were on the tarmacs, ready to, to bomb Syria when the United States had our, we had our ships there and everything, and were, I would say, disappointed or, or and surprised when the United States backed off. But the the message of weakness again. I keep saying this that it's mm-hmm. not what we do. We may have good reasons for certain actions. It's the perception of it right. over there. It's how do they see it? And you know, there was a big controversy this week because of statements that the Minister of Defense made, Yalom, who uh, again against the Secretary of State. Pardon me? Against the Secretary of State. Well, again, or aimed, first he said aimed at the Secretary of State. Later, it was against the administration, against the president, and he said he has apologized in a conversation with Secretary Hagel, the Secretary of Defense. The administration tonight, uh, this morning is saying it was not it, and they want more. Uh, he did say harsh things in, a, in what was supposed to be a closed forum, but in front of a large group, and um, uh, they, they, he talked about the danger to the state and to the security. That the United States didn't do anything and leads to, um, uh, and, and the concern about now about Iran that he, he who opposed unilateral Israeli action against Iran said that he's now leaning towards it. Uh, there are people who are, critis- who are critical of the words, and you know, the U.S. Israel military cooperation has been good. But then Benny Gantz, uh, who's the head of the IDF, the chief of staff, also made some interesting statements that got less coverage. But he talked about Israel's capability of carrying out military operations in Iran, about the, that they had conducted dozens of covert operations and dozens of secret activities, uh, some last week, and, as he said, quote, as we speak, unquote, which certainly should peak interest. In, in well, peak interest is right. What, what does that mean? Obviously, it didn't take place in Iran. And he said some far away and some closer by. So, well, we know that the, what they've done in Syria, and we know that they carried out uh, uh, some attacks. Um, but Israel, you know, has been on on a, a, a alert because of the situation on both borders, north and south. Uh, the the bomb that was placed on the border that uh, wounded three and uh, three mildly and one seriously, one soldier seriously, and Israel retaliated against the Syrian army, 
even though it was likely carried out by Hezbollah, but the Syrian army is in charge of this area, and they said, you know, we hold uh, President Assad to account. It's his responsibility. Uh, I think that they hit uh, Hezbollah sites as well. That they, they did recently, as you know, the convoy that was coming, and they said this was retaliation. This attack was retaliation, but they don't need excuses. We know that there's a buildup. We know that uh, Hamas, uh, Hezbollah has set up an advanced base on the northern side of the Golan and the, to be used to support actions against Israel as well as troops fighting in, uh, in Syria. And Hezbollah faces a, a serious backlash. There have been hundreds, maybe 500, 600 or more of their troops have been killed. We know that the um, resentment on the part of the people has, has continues to grow. Um, but the, their, their involvement is so deep, and obviously their patron... Iran wants them there. They played a key role in the retaking of this critical village on the Lebanese border that opens up transit routes and may enable the Syrian army, which is uh, still formidable, uh, to to take on the rebels who are so busy fighting each other that they do little damage. Boy, you just went around the region really fast. Uh, no, this is just this is just Syria. I, I understand. You still went around the region quickly. <laughs> um, as Syria continues to adamantly uh, deny any involvement in the bombing that uh, injured the Israeli soldiers, uh, the one that you mentioned uh, Israel retaliated for, uh, but now I understand uh, where they're coming from. They, 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 they would blame Hezbollah. You're saying essentially it's the same team. It, it is exactly. Yes, it is the same team, but they, they are the sovereign, and there's a big Syrian military presence. It's estimated that 60% of the border of Syria is controlled today by uh, various rebel groups. That the And this is obviously a major concern to Jordan, to Israel, to others. Uh, we know the border with Iraq is now completely open and porous, and eight to 15,000 Iraqi Shites have crossed the border are fighting inside uh, Iraq. A major concern and another issue that we really should talk about because nobody even mentions it and talks about this this flow of uh, of uh, manpower and that the the uh, there are Iraqi intelligence who said that one of the terrorist groups the Al Haq group gets about a million and a half dollars a month from Iran just they alone uh, but they, they did interviews with guys from some of the cemeteries in Najaf and elsewhere, and they talk about every day getting three, four bodies, a single cemetery, from uh, fighters who were killed in in, uh, in Syria. So anyway, the, the... That indicates cooperation between Iran and Iraq? This is, well, Iraq, Iranian dominance of, of large parts of, of uh, Iraq, and certainly over the government, and yes, cooperation there with the Assad force, pro-Assad forces in uh, in Syria, but these are Iraqi Shiites who are going to fight there. We know that Iraqi Sunnis have gone to fight on the other side as well. What do you think when you woke up this morning to this story that the biggest Gaza terror tunnel has now been uncovered by the IDF? Look, it's, uh, you know, these are ongoing efforts. The IDF has warned about it. The, the world doesn't pay any attention to it. Again, Hamas pays a price only because Israel reacts. The rest of the world says that uh, talks about having to to deal with them. Uh, they talk about they speculate about you know conciliatory efforts, and you see what the real intent is. And and we know on both borders the intent is to kidnap Israeli soldiers at any price, and to to hold them hostage to do what they did with um, uh, Gilad Shalit to gain release of prisoners to to. Um, 
put Israel on the defensive, and they know how much, how far Israel will go to to defend its uh, its citizens and its soldiers. So this big uh, tunnel should again be a warning, though, to the West that keeps saying that Israel has to open up the tunnels, the the cement supply, other supplies. There's no shortage. It's being diverted into the use, into building these tunnels, into to, to taking huge amounts of cement and cement slabs to line the walls and to, to engage in this kind of construction. Well, that's why I'm glad there's a video online of this latest one, because, it, you know, we hear tunnels, so you know the vision that everybody has, you know, <laughs> taking small uh, uh, instruments and digging out a, a little thing to, uh, to crawl through. This is a lot different than that. We've joked in the past about, you know, what it, what it would be worth if it was in Manhattan, but it's not a joke. It's it's just it's it's a real facility, and as you just described, one that's very sturdy, and uh, until it's uncovered by uh, by Israel, it's being put to use to uh, increase terror. And and it's and people say to me, why why can't they have sonar devices? Why don't they have other things that? First of all, it's a long border. Second of all, they go very deep. They find ways of bypassing uh, what happens. Second, you know that this week we, we've seen uh, the conflict again between Hamas and and the uh, PA. That in Hamas broke up a demonstration of pro Abbas, pro PA uh, groups in Gaza. They arrested uh, 13, 14 people, and the PA arrested 40 Hamas groups, the people in in Nablus. So the escalation of uh, tension between them. And, uh, we, you know, we heard the comments during Hamas's visit that he's consistently renounced violence when we see the incitement, the, the, uh, the comments, the, the actions that they take is anything but, but seeming to, to renounce violence against Israel. And then when they make one step forward, to make two steps back, there was a report that, that Schott said, well, maybe in the end we can recognize the Jewish state. And then he said, I never said it, we're never going to recognize it. They put down all the red lines. And then there's competition between Hamas and Hezbollah, Hamas and the, and the PA, but also because Hamas's economic conditions have worsened as Syria, as Egypt rather, has clamped down on them. Uh, they are now talking about coming back into Iran's sphere and and uh, closing up to, to Iran. And we don't know if the Classy was intended for Islamic Jihad, which is Iran's main uh, front group in in. Gaza, or whether this was going to be shared with the uh, uh, with the with the Hamas. By the way, do you think Abbas is handling the whole Israel recognition topic uh, any differently, or would Arafat have handled it differently? I always envision Arafat as you know, sort of you know, getting out there and saying, "Okay, you want recognition? We recognize Israel." And Abbas, for whatever reason, maybe it's bad business for him at home, or you could explain to us why, refuses to give in on any of this. Well, it's not unpopular at home, and uh, the only difference is that uh, Abbas dresses in a suit, sort of like Rouhani. Uh, you know, it's a different face and a different image, but we see that the policies remain the same. He's done nothing, neither t- to really uh, move the pastors forward by saying that, that he would recognize Israel or uh, not compromising on the right of return. And the, the more you put these markers down, the more you make it in, put it in such absolute terms, the harder it will be ever to negotiate or to come to some sort of uh, agreement or understanding. Right. And what is the demand? The demand always is that Israel release the fourth tranche of prisoners. That that if they don't do that, we're going to go to the United Nations. How we're many pr- how many prisoners are in that batch? The last batch is uh, twenty nine. And the likelihood of them being released? Right now, very low. Even Livni, it's 
Mississippi living in the Minister of Justice and who's in charge of the peace negotiations said there can't be a prisoner released now if there's no framework agreement. And we see that the talks in, in the United States between Abbas and President uh, Obama did not seem to go, go very far and didn't seem to make much progress. And Secretary Kerry is still involved trying to move it, but we're, there's an, a, a deadline coming up on March 29th when they were supposed to reach some sort of an understanding, at least for an extension the end of the year, or, or I think Israel's uh, asking for it and saying we're not going to release the next tranche. And, and someone like Livni would say that with the previous three releases, there was a framework that there were negotiations going on. They were they were engaged, and therefore says that that uh, she said that therefore it was justified. In this one, where you're going to have guys with a lot of blood on their hands getting out, um, they. They, she, she, let alone the prime minister and others, has said that that they should not do it. This is the most criminal of the of all the groups. Yes. Someone, even though the others were pretty bad, and some already have been rearrested. Yeah, that's engaged in activities. That's my point. Et cetera, but the, this is the worst. And now they're demanding the release of Barghouti and others. Barghouti has five life sentences for for for. His you think he'll ever be part of a, a prisoner release, or is that a red line they'll never cross? Well, Israel says they will not release them now, and they will not, whether ever, I don't know. Um, By the way, I want one story that, that got almost no attention, which is very sad, especially for me, because I was very involved with them, and that was the information that the Mossad and others in Israel put out about the eight young men, eight people who crossed the border, tried to cross the border of Iran to escape, uh, and the hands of smugglers about 20 years ago. Yeah, so this was a New York Times article about and, it. And um, they were declared to be dead, and the chief rabbi uh, issued a stock on it. But the evidence, unfortunately, that they were able to, uh, to put together, there are three that are still unaccounted for. But I even met with Zarif. M- meaning that the last time they were seen was in Iran? Yes. And then they just disappeared as they tried to escape? Yeah, they, 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 they were smugglers. They didn't have any idea or anything. They, they, they're smugglers who took many people across the border with Pakistan, some to Turkey, but primarily the Pakistani border. And, you know, these are very unsavory characters, and it was always risky. Uh, there were cases of people who were killed or they were robbed and left penniless and destitute by the, the smugglers. Uh, but in this case, uh, there were sightings. There were people who came to me with evidence about it. I went... I even met with Zarif, who's now the foreign minister, several times. He was then ambassador of Iran to the U- UN to enlist his help, and he, he had promised me certain things. And of course, and in those meetings, now he didn't do anything. And in those meetings, someone like him would say they simply have no idea where, about their whereabouts. No, they're going to look. And I gave him names of prisons. I gave him names of, of sites of people who would know and who were contacts. And every every time the the answer came back months later that we had no information uh, on it. There's another story regarding Iran, if I can, just for a second, that I think is really, uh, I mean, remarkable, that satellites, U.S. satellites, picked up uh, a mock in a, in a um, shipbuilding yeah. dock right on the Persian Gulf. Yeah, maybe you could explain this one to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it tells you how far Iran is going, and all those who say, oh, they're crippled by the sanctions, they can't do this. They built a mock uh, copy of the USS Lincoln, which is a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier that we have in the Persian Gulf. This is number 68, and, and the, the mock that they have has fake planes on it and carries the number 68. It's still in dry dock, but it's to be 
towed to the uh, Persian Gulf from the Gachin uh, shipyards. And the purpose was? So that's a good question. This is not the first time that we've seen them do this, but you know that they have played havoc with with their fast boats, with our ships, uh, and we're talking about destroyers and big ships that are in the Persian Gulf. Um, so the USS Abraham Lincoln, this is a mock-up, but I think it's only about two-thirds the size of it, uh, and it's a, the, the Fifth Fleet people call it the target barge. So it could be used for propaganda value where they will show how they blew up the uh, the this mock-up or bomb it and say, you know, that they hit the uh, uh, real thing. And uh, it's intimidation, but it's, it's meant to for probably for diversionary purposes and propaganda purposes. They have done things like this in the past, but never on this scale. And, and again, you know, people will laugh because it's, it, it's sort of funny. You know, it's a big barge, uh, and you can't really uh, land planes and, and, I guess, take off on it. But it's, it just tells you the degree to which Iran goes, that a country that's supposedly suffering under the sanctions can divert resources for this. Uh, they, they are anyway, as I said. Yeah, but what gets me is that any kid with iMovie can go ahead and create a video of the Lincoln being exploded. You know what I mean? Like this right. is this is really going to a great extent if that's the reason they're doing it. Uh, yes, but they've harassed our warships. They they um, they have these remotely piloted um, uh, planes, you know, uh, sort of drones that uh, with the carry surveillance pods that also could carry rockets. Uh, we, we know, by the way, Hezbollah has them, too, which is why Israel is developing the Iron Beam, which is a means to shoot down uh, drones, and especially drones uh, which are unpiloted planes to, that can carry heavy payloads uh, across the border from Gaza to, to Israel. And you can't use, um, you don't want to use Iron Dome against it, but this will be a, a laser system that can take uh, these down. Unbelievable. What do you think of Harvard students going to Arafat's grave? Look, I think it's part of a pattern that we see, and, and you know, I, I don't blame them. I blame those who, who organized, or and they did issue a statement, which uh, I thought was uh, much better than anything that had been said till now, explaining that they, that, that they didn't mean to pay homage to him, and they certainly wouldn't have, that this was just part of the trip. But for the young people who are on it, 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 it does have that impact. And for, you know, the pictures that are being now with Facebook and Twitter and everything that go to countless numbers of people, and it shows that, you know, the diminution of, of uh, understanding and of uh, sensitivity, if not worse. And, again, I think the statement tries to clarify it, and they're saying, look, this was an educational trip. They went there to meet people from the PA to understand all sides. You know, I don't see the other side doing the same thing. I don't see them taking people to visit Rabin's grave when they bring missions. They bring them there to propagandize them, and we see the impact of that propaganda in the BDS movement and in, and, you know, Loyola in Chicago. The students voted 26 to nothing, the student government to, to divest from seven companies like Caterpillar and SodaStream and others that do business in, uh, in the West Bank in Israel yesterday. So people who think that this is, uh, you know, a, a, a marginal concern and why we established the, the task force, national task force on this, as we did on Iran, because these are real concerns and they have real manifestations in the United States today. Finally, last week, you'll recall we spoke and made a, uh, uh, and you were able to provide analysis regarding the rockets coming in from the south and the uh, the Gaza area being dominated 
by terrorist groups, no matter which one took uh, responsibility for the rockets against Israeli cities. Seven days later, any quieter in that region? Well, it is uh, somewhat quieter. Israel struck back. There, there were months during the... Hello? Malcolm? Did we lose him? We lost him. See if we can uh, reestablish contact with Mr. Honeline here at JM in the AM. I have a feeling that he's <laughs> that he thinks <laughs> that he thinks he's still on. That's what I think. <laughs> JM in the AM on this Arab Shabbos as we start to uh, close out our weekly update with Malcolm Honeline. And I don't know. We're having trouble reconnecting. All right, I will uh, take this opportunity to uh, to thank Malcolm and uh, remind everybody that uh, our next edition of the weekly update will be next Friday, and I guess we'll continue uh, talking about what's going on in the uh, southern part of Israel and every other region of Israel and the Middle East. 22 minutes after 8 o'clock on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini, Erev Shabbos Parshas Para, candle lighting at 6.50 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.50, your candle lighting time as we get set for this very important Shabbos. And Rabbi Yudin, of course, will join us in just a moment, and we will uh, talk about uh, both Parsha Shmini and Parshas Para coming up here at JM in the AM. 38 degrees, mostly sunny, and a high temperature of 52. Showers later tonight with a low of 40. Tomorrow morning showers with a high temperature of 62. Oh, uh, the uh, I think I think we actually have reconnected. Malcolm, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right. I hope everything's I don't know okay. This whole system got zapped. That's it was good. the Iranians. I told you they have these superpowers. Boy, you're giving them all the credit when you have about 50 other countries you could blame. <laughs> I could think maybe it's the Ukrainians. And by the way, when when you say that, you know, we we have uh, we have other concerns about the Jews in the Ukraine. And there are a lot of reports, you know, about blood in the streets. These are not true. But obviously it's a great concern about what could happen there. But the other area of real concern is the Jews in Venezuela now because of the unrest and the disruptions and the manifestations that are taking place there of grave concern. And there's still a significant Jewish community there that we're working with and that uh, people should be concerned about. But it's it's part of... Uh, we see that the unrest that we see in the Middle East could easily be replicated in countries in, in South America as well. But Venezuela yeah. is a key one. Something you've told us about for, I don't know how many years at this point. Um, I thank you. Uh, we will reconvene Bezrat Hashem next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We have to give a, we have to give a Mazel Tov a shout-out to Daniela Holmlein, who, Mitzvah Hashem, next uh, week will become a Kala, or will be get married. She's a Kala. And uh, I want to send Mazel Tov to my son and daughter-in-law, Hanoch and Alana, homeline in Baltimore, and wish them much nachas. I want to wish uh, the entire mishpacha a very special Mazel Tov. That is wonderful news. Will this, I, I hate to be selfish in asking this, Malcolm, will this in any way affect next Friday morning's weekly update? Well, that, that was part of the reason for that. Up, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I'll negotiate this with you. The week. Depends how long the uh, the second dance set goes, huh? Exactly. <laughs> All right, Mazel Tov, enjoy. Must be no greater feeling, and uh, we will in fact alert our audience if the Simcha in any way 
alters our weekly update schedule. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays here for the weekly update at JM in the AM. Before we get to uh, Rabbi Yudin, I just want to pass along an amazing piece of news that I got very, very early this morning. Got a, a note from uh, Simon Jacob. And uh, Barry and Simon Jacob uh, have announced that their daughter, Tikva, who is living in Israel, has just become engaged. Mazal Tov. Uh, Tikva Jacob and uh, Levi Morrow, who is uh, from the Los Angeles area, now living in Israel. Uh, they are planning a June wedding. They are engaged. And we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. I also take this opportunity to wish a very happy birthday to Grandma Doreen Jacob. Grandma Doreen Jacob is celebrating a birthday, and we say Mazal Tov and happy birthday to her from all of us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portions of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shmini. Parshas Shmini, according to the Chinuch, contains 17 mitzvos, 6 positive and 11 negative. In addition, we take out a second Sefer Torah this Shabbos and we read from Parshas Pura. I'd like to connect the two, the Parsha of Shmini and Parshas Pura, in the following way. Parshas Shmini can be conveniently divided into three parts. The opening part deals with, literally, the euphoria, the dedication of the Mishkan. We spent five weeks reading about the readying, the building, and preparation for God's literally moving in to the community of man. And it takes place in this week's parsha, whereby the Torah tells us at the end of chapter 9, literally the entire nation sees how the fire descends from heaven. It consumes the carbon on the altar, on the Mizbeach, the last phrase of chapter 9, Vayar kol ha'om vayoronu, the entire nation saw this, they sang, and vayiplu al and they fell upon their faces. Then comes the second part. Unfortunately, the day which was such a special, happy day was marred by the death of Aaron's two older sons, Nadav and Avihu, because they brought an Esh Zorah. Our rabbis understand this to mean literally a fire which was alien, not commanded by Hashem. And whatever it is that they had done wrong, the common denominator is that they meant well, but when it comes to religious service, it has to be 
It has to be as God commanded and not simply based upon the whim of man. That if I have intoxicating beverage, if I bring instruments, all different things, man might mean well, but the Torah is teaching us very clearly and very concisely that it has to be what and only that which God has commanded. The third part of Parshas, Shmini, deals with the laws of Kashrus, our diet, where the Torah is teaching us that it doesn't only affect our body, but it affects our soul as well. I'd like to focus on that middle part, whereby, what is the response of Aharon to this tragedy? And the Torah tells us in two words, Vayidom Aharon, and Aharon was silent. Now the question is, how to look upon the silence of Avraham, of Aharon. It's not simply an acceptance and resignation on his part, but, if I may... In quoting the Tzror Hamor brought down by the Shari Aaron, Aaron had the capacity to understand that while he didn't understand, this is God's will. And to prove that he is in this state of acceptance of God's will, immediately thereafter, the Torah tells us that Hashem communicates with Aharon, rewards him for his silence by God speaking to him and giving him the particular prophecy and laws that a Kohen is not to imbibe and drink um, any intoxicating wine prior to his performing the service in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, our rabbis teach us that in order for a prophet to receive prophecy, one of the prior conditions is that he be in a state of simcha, that he be in a state of literally joy, happiness. And Aaron is able to accept a prophecy because he realizes that whatever God does is ultimately for the best, even though he cannot understand it. And this is such an important concept. And this, I believe, is very much connected to Parshas Porah. What is the second Torah reading that we have this Shabbos. Parshas Parah comes from chapter 19 in the fourth book of the Torah, whereby the Torah teaches us Zos Chukas HaTorah. This is literally the law, and we know that a chuk is a law without a reason that we can understand. And the Torah basically tells us that an individual who has been either under the same roof as a deceased dead body, namely someone who has gone to a funeral, someone who has touched a dead body, those men and women who are part of the Chevra Kadisha, so by virtue of their touching 
a dead body being under the roof, with the same roof as the dead body, they become tamay. They become literally, ritually impure. And somebody in this state of impurity, they cannot enter the Beis HaMikdash, nor can they partake of Karbonos of the literally the offerings brought in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, that Purim is behind us and Pesach is coming, the Torah is telling us you must prepare for Pesach by removing your impurity. There's only one way that this impurity can be removed, and that is by having the ashes and water of the red heifer, the pora aduma, sprinkled on the individual on day three and day seven of their personal count. Then they, and only then do they go to the mikvah afterwards, and then they are able to enter the temple and resume the eating of korbanos. And because partaking of the korban Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, on the night of the Pesach Seder is such a significant positive commandment, we have a reading of Parshas Parah reminding everybody that Pesach is coming. And even though we don't yet have the Beis Migdosh and we don't yet have the Parah Duma, the Red Heifer, we read about it in the spirit of Unashama Parim Sfasenu, showing God, showing ourselves how much we pine for this. And, please God, it will be coming speedily in our day. This is the practical aspect as to why we have the Parshas Para on the Shabbos before Parshas HaChodesh. However, I believe that there is a very significant philosophical point that we should address regarding Parshas Para. And that is as follows. Interestingly, as I heard from one of my teachers, what do we have with the Parah Aduma? We have the red heifer and basically teaching us a response to death. Now, where do we find earlier in the Torah something red and a response to death? We find it in Parshas Toldos. In chapter 25, in the book of Bereshis, the Torah tells us that Esav comes back from the field, for who are Yev, and he is especially tired. And, listen carefully, Yaakov prepares a soup. What color was it? So you'll say, oh, what's the difference? But we know, Esav got the name Edom, which means red, because he asks his brother Yaakov for some of that red porridge, that red soup. Now why does Yaakov make this red soup? So it's a lentil soup. And Rashi tells us an entire amazing medrash. That this was the day that Avraham died. And Yaakov 
prepared a suudas havra'a for his father Yitzchak, namely the meal of transition from after the burial to the formal period of shiva of mourning. At this meal, Yaakov prepared lentils. Why? Because of its um, shape, namely the size of and the shape of the lentil. It is circular and without a mouth. No complaints. Says Rashi that we see that our practice of eating a hard-boiled egg when the mourners come back from the cemetery. Rashi lived approximately a thousand years ago. He cites this custom to teach us for the identical reason that the egg as well, ain la peh, it has no mouth. And it is a galgal, that complete sphere, which without an opening. Therefore, the idea is, how are we to respond to death? So watch. Esav responds to death by saying, I can't believe it. My grandfather Avram was such a good guy. It can't be that there's a God. And therefore, as a result of this phenomena whereby man seems to be utterly defeated by death, Esav goes the wrong way. Esav draws the wrong conclusion. His conclusion is, eat, drink, and be merry, because after all, tomorrow we die, and when we die, it's all over. As far as Esav is concerned, what's happened here is, this is metame tohorim. Unfortunately, this led him in the wrong direction. Yaakov takes the opposite response from it. To Yaakov, this is metahir. This purifies. How so? Yaakov realizes that this is not the end. This is, Yaakov realizes that his grandfather has been gathered unto his people. What does that mean? It means that there still is a connection between the soul of the departed and those that are left behind. It means, as the Mishnah tells us in Avos, that you are to literally focus on three phenomena, and this will keep you from sin. This will bring you close to God. Da, Risha, remember where you come from and to whom you're going and you're going to have a relationship and that relationship is with your Father in Heaven. And therefore, the same response of death can go one way or the other. And we know Lo'alenu, and we're not judging anybody. But after the Shoah, there were those that took a response and said, God forbid, but where was God? And therefore, 
they led a certain lifestyle afterwards, and others in the exact same situation who saw how literally miyichia and miyamus and those that were saved were saved miraculously, and they realized that they saw God in that same phenomena. So the same situation could be a matame or a metaher, bring a person closer, or unfortunately the other way. And so, in keeping with Parshas Shmini, in keeping with Vayidom Aaron, in keeping with the Talmud in Brachos 54a, the Mishnah teaches us, Chayav Adam Levarech Al Horoah, and is obligated to literally bless God for tragedies, kishem, just as Shemavorech Alatova, that he blesses God for the good. And what does that mean? Says the Gemara in Daf Samach Amibay's 60b. What does that mean? It means, says the Gemara, Lekablinu, he should accept this besimcha. Now, this is such a challenging aspect, but it means, and that's why we have to remind ourselves with Parshas Porah, that death is part of life, and death is not something which is all-encompassing. We recognize that the soul lives on, and this is such an important concept, that in our preparation for Pesach, it's not only trying to get that Cheerio from under the refrigerator, but the more, forgive me, important kind of preparation for the person to understand that God is involved in our lives while we live, after we live as well. And this is Parshas Pora, and this is giving us a healthy response to life and to death. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M., that's Mordechai Ben David with Curry Bone off of the Shabbos with the Werdigers CD. Well, it's a big, uh, it's a big uh, Sunday coming up, a big weekend in general, but certainly Sunday for the Yeshiva University community, and as far as I'm concerned, for the entire Jewish world with the uh, incredible Chag HaSmicha that is planned this coming Sunday. I was just informed that there are other events happening this weekend um, um, surrounding the Chag HaSmicha, including tomorrow night, Yeshiva University and the Bergen County community are celebrating the Ritz Chag HaSmicha in a special Malava Malka starting at 9 p.m. at Congregation Keter Torah on Romer Avenue in Teaneck uh, with a keynote address delivered by Lord Jonathan Sachs. Uh, Lessons for Today's Jewish Leadership is the title of the event is the title of the keynote speech. They will celebrate the 47 Bergen County Musmachim who are part of this year's Chag HaSmicha. And we say Mazal Tov to all of them, to everybody in the Chag HaSmicha, to 240 or so uh, rabbis who are being ordained officially or officially received their ordination this coming Sunday. 47 of them from uh, Bergen County. The program begins promptly at 9 p.m. tomorrow night, uh, followed by a dessert reception. Information, go to yu.edu slash chag, yu.edu slash chag. And again, mazal tov to all the musmachim. Big event coming up this Sunday. The Chag Hasmicha at Yeshiva University. I want to remind everybody that there, there's a free large print Haggadah that's available to anybody who's visually impaired or reading disabled. If somebody in your family would benefit and have a nicer Seder if they had a large print Haggadah, call this number. 1-800-999-6476, want to wish a mazal tov to all the honorees this coming Sunday at the Patach Dinner, always a very uh, well-attended and important dinner in our community. Patach Dinner is this coming Sunday. We say mazal tov to all the honorees from all of us here at JM and the A. I want to take this opportunity to wish a mazal tov to the honorees at the Friends of Lubavitch of Bergen County Dinner happening this coming Sunday night at the Woodcliffe Lake Hilton, including Janet and Lior Hode, 
uh, Eden and Dr. Jeffrey Aronoff and Sharon and Ari Green, who are all being recognized as coming Sunday night by the Friends of Lubavitch of Bergen County. Benny Friedman and Sheer Soul are going to be performing this coming uh, Sunday night. So enjoy the dinner, everybody. should be uh, a wonderful event uh, at the Woodcliffe Lake uh, Hilton. Um, the uh, Kojo of Flatbush has their 35th annual community legislative breakfast. I hope to see everybody there at the Cole Yaakov Hall this coming Sunday morning. That happens this coming Sunday. Mazal Tov from uh, all of us at JMNAM to all the honorees at that event this coming uh, Sunday. Uh, also, uh, next week here at JMNAM, there are people who would love to hear Eitan Katz with his brand-new album, Live in Jerusalem, which we uh, hope to feature. We hope to have Eitan Katz here next week. We'll try to get David Gabe on. He's about to release a massive video based on the single that just came out, Borei Olam. Uh, Eli Schwabel's brand-new CD is expected out. We'll try to get everybody on at some point. Uh, here at JM in the AM and uh, keep the music rolling. So make sure you are tuned in all week long. Don't forget great weekend programming on our stream at jmtheam.org. We'll start right after JM in the AM this morning when Naomi Nachman presents her table for two program. Gil Marks on the history of matzah and matzah balls coming up. And from Columbus, Ohio, Allison Gutwax, who shares easy and very gourmet Pesach recipes. All this between 9 and 10 this morning at jmnam.org, then a, an amazing and incredible music mix uh, for an era of Shabbos. There's no better way to go into Shabbos, uh, courtesy of our friends at Kedem. That music mix goes for hours and hours. Make sure it's on in your car, in your home, in your office to get into the Shabbos mood. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. Matis has JM Sunday, Sunday morning starting at 7 o'clock. And, of course, Sunday is a very, very big hockey championship day in the Yeshiva League, both the varsity and junior varsity, at some point Sunday night, I don't think it's realistic to think it's going to be at the regular start time of 7 p.m. Eastern time, but at some point Sunday night, we will have Elliot Weiselberg and the court report with a full report on all the games Sunday. Uh, pay careful attention to social media, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel on Facebook, at Nachum Siegel Net on Twitter, and we will uh, get you the latest when you can hear Elliot with his recap of the entire Sunday. We are anticipating a uh, a fabulous day Sunday with those two great games. And uh, we'll wrap it up by getting everybody to tune in and enjoy things on the stream with us here at JM in the AM. A couple of minutes before our closing theme hits the airwaves here at JM in the AM. First, Yaakov Shweki on a Friday morning broadcast.
J.M. in the A.M. That's Yaakov Shweki. Candle lighting at 6.50 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini and Erev Shabbos Parsha Parah. Time to say good Shabbos with journeys at J.M. in the A.M.
Achenu Yisrael and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmn.org. And that'll wrap things up for a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Naomi Nachman next on our stream at jmnam.org with Table for Two. Amazing music mix all day long coming up between 10 a.m. and candlelighting time. Of Rummy tomorrow night starts at 10 with Saturday Night Seagull. Matis Sunday morning at 7. And as we said, Court Report will be on at some point Sunday night. A fresh edition after all these Shiva League hockey championships are over. We don't know exactly what time it'll start, but pay careful attention to Facebook and Twitter, and we'll get the word out there in terms of uh, Elliot's report for Sunday night. Uh, and Monday, we're back here at JMM. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Till then, Alchem Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.